Yeah. Hey there. Hey there. Hey, hey oh, you there. have your round glasses tonight. Yeah. No. Uh, yes. Uh, the blue. My, my blue ones. The blue. I'm I'm such a glasses whore. So anyway, um, hey there. Welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits. Coming to you from the Recycle Garage in not so sunny Santa Cruz, but it's still quite lovely. Hello, Liza. Hello, mate. Hello, bloke. <laughs> Ancha. You're a caution, ain't <laughs> Anyway, Liza, darling. Darling, sweetie. So I did the introduction for you. Who's in the studio tonight? Who? Who? Well, of course, running the board. It's everyone's favorite stump. Stumpy John. What's up? Stumpy. Hello, everybody. Oh, and we're getting, you're, you're first on the, uh, the agenda tonight. So I we're going to get to you. Uh, going okay. around the room, it's, uh, we don't really have a good nickname yet. Uh, uh, I, I call myself what the cat dragged in. <laughs> what the cat dragged in? It's Neil. Hey, you know everybody. what? I'm gonna give you. A, I'm gonna give you a name right now, and I'm okay. gonna full, Bana- banana suit Neil. No, full, I like banana full, peel Neil. Banana peel Neil. Full confession: This is a recycled name from somebody in my past, but I think it's fitting here. Neil, Neil, what's the spiel? What's the spiel? Oi! <laughs> it's Neil, and uh, coming around the room, of course. Everybody's favorite manly man. It's Naked Jill. Oh, hey. I was like, who are you talking about? <laughs> oh, he is. He is. Ma- you are such a player, Jim. Oh, my. I know. Yeah, I don't know about that. I just enjoy the view here all the time. I'm just happy to be here. Hey, hey, hey. What? And, the, of course, we cannot forget the manly man of all gingers. It's Bagel. <laughs> yes, coming to you from my manly shop. <laughs> yeah. You do have a very manly beard. You and John both have the yeah. manly oh, thank beard. you. Neil, yeah, I whacked my. It's, it's okay. It's bagel. it's a bit metrosexual, but these guys, mm. bagel, manly. You're, you're such a testosterone white, factory, it. darling. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> yes. Speaking of manly things, um, John, do you have a pink scooter update? I do. <laughs> it's still pink. <laughs> uh, yeah. Today we uh, uh, the for some reason the front wheel was not moving at all, so we pulled the caliper <laughs> off. And uh, fought my way through the caliper with Emma's help and Liza's help, and uh, it's back well, back together. I want to say I was using my old techniques, which are not as thorough as Emma's, and I watched like a hawk when Emma stepped in to help you. Yeah, she get these stuck pistons out. Well, Emma, can you describe? Well, that because I know I know that it's not the best thing, but it did the job, and that's what we needed. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a, it's a little bit naughty, and I. The thing is, I'm always very reluctant when you have to resort to that kind of technique, putting it on the air, because I don't want I don't want people to use this as their first technique. No. The the easiest way to get out stuck stuck pistons, and I I I will say this quite loudly and clearly, is use the actual brake system on the bike. Just take the pads out, don't take the hydraulic lines off. Take the lid off the master cylinder, fill it up, and pump the pistons out using the front brake lever. It's the mm. easiest thing in the world. Very powerful. Yeah, the method I usually use is take it off and then use the right. air compressor well, actually, and create a little mini cannon in your hand. You put, yeah. you put dry out with that kid. Yeah, you but, could. But <laughs> we, we stuck a, a, br- a handle of a brush in there so that there was a stop yeah. to prevent it from coming out. But anyway, um, all these things had failed. So what I instructed John to do, I wanted John to clean the area completely so we knew what we were dealing with. And um, 
a long story short, I mean, I I grabbed the lip of one of the pistons. And that hurt my lip with a lot, a, too. Yes, it, 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 it really did. I welted like I a little bit. And then I twisted it. <laughs> no, I grabbed it with a vice grip and then got a uh, an adjustable wrench on the vice grip and actually kind of twisted twisted the mm-hmm. piston out backwards and forwards, pulling out as we went. And, um, Looked like a charm. Yeah, pulled them both out. Yeah, Tiniest it, amount of corrosion. Well, and I think yeah. the the real um, trick there is that you use the vice grip to grab it, but then you used the adjustable wrench on the vice grip to turn it. To twist and it. And that was something I'm like, oh, it's that extra little trick. So did you just like clean and lube everything, basically? No, no new well, seals one or of, anything one like of the, that? No. One of the tricks with uh, an, an aluminum alloy is that when it corrodes, when it forms an oxide, it swells. And brake calipers are very, very vulnerable because they're kind of front and center. They're on the front wheel. So, you know, they're always kind of facing where you want to go, and they always get a lot of crud in them. And as the as the aluminium alloy swells, it grips the piston and it can't move back. So basically the method, as what I showed John, is you carefully take the seals out. And nine times out of ten, you can use the seals again if you're very, very careful. Um, and just clean off the seals and make sure they're nice and compliant. They've got no tears in them. And then just diligently clean out the grooves. You can use bent screwdriver. One of my favorite tools is wheel spoke. And you, you bend it through 90 degrees, and then you can really get in there and clean out all the crud out of the grooves. Um, clean all the corrosion off. Lots of... New brake fluid as a lubricant, and then uh, reassemble everything. And generally, they work like a million bucks. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was. It was always fun to watch Emma learn those extra little tricks. Like I think, I, like I've figured out some tricks that I've used, and then I watch her. And I was like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And I, I wanted to give a just um, a quick shout out uh, to a, a, a YouTube channel. Oh, who's is that? Mine. Hey, it is mine. Sorry. we are My last podcast started playing. Um, you know, I mentioned a couple weeks ago the Jason Momoa show. Yeah, John, you so watched good. it? You yep. liked it? Oh, yeah. So if you haven't checked that out. Um, but um, we were watching in the garage today a YouTube a YouTuber that I've been watching that I find really inspiring. And it may seem like it's not related to what we do, but I'll share. His name is Matt Armstrong. Matt with one T. And he's a, a guy... Similar to us who just learned to wrench on his own in his driveway and then has worked his way up. Um, he buys supercars, crash supercars. Yeah, dis- I've, I've watched a number of his videos. Yeah, and dismantles <laughs> them and learns and makes mistakes and figures things out and resources cheaper parts when he like does the research and finds out. I was explaining to Emma, like, he was working on like, I think it was like a BMW M5 and they want like $800 for the ballast on the headlight. But he took one of the ballasts off and read like it said Fiat with a part number on it, you know, and they only want 120 pounds from Fiat. Um, so th- that's what a lot of us do. We're resourceful here in the recycled garage. And uh, so we we're playing his videos. I think everyone was enjoying it and he's just cheerful and has a good attitude. But watching those videos of him working on like Lamborghinis and stuff, actually has inspired me to get a little bit deeper into my KTM and I've been in there replacing fasteners and taking rust and I want to pull stuff off and paint it and just babying it a little bit more. So that's just my shout out, uh, Matt Armstrong um, on YouTube. 
It's uh, it may not be in a cars as much, but the method well, that he does it and the attitude with which he does it and doing it right. No, and I think that's is, is I really appreciate. I think that's the important thing, Liza, and it inspired you to get stuck into the KTM. And funnily enough, me and Liza are doing exactly the same job yeah. on our respective bikes right now, unbeknownst to each other. How's that for a coincidence? So, Liza's, uh, Liza's machining her own bolts. No, not quite. On? You're just oh, okay. replacing. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but um, for those that know me, you know that when I kind of get into it, I turn my own nuts and bolts because I, I like them just so. And I've <laughs> I'm going to leave that one there. <laughs> and so Too much of a softball there. The, um, you know, the, the, the Harley, I've been looking at it. I think, God, this has got the shittiest fasteners on it. And the fasteners on that bike have pissed me off for a long, long time. So I've just, you know, I've grabbed the bull by the horns. And I'm like, I'm going to start replacing stuff with stainless steel. And so all the nuts and bolts I'm making on my lathe. But things like the um, the front wheel axle, the swing arm pivot, the rear wheel axle, I'm having to buy. Um, and they are quite expensive is when, that you, a, when you buy this thing. Is that a forever bike for you or just a... No, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's... it's you seem to like it. You, the, are, you are fond of it. Yeah. I do. Um, the only bike I can guarantee... We all know that, Rufus. I will never get rid of is Rufus. <clears throat> Everything else, I don't know. I mean, I like, I like getting bikes <clears throat> up to a certain standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I don't know. I really don't know. I do like the Harley. Um, I just like its, um, <coughs> its Americanness. Yeah. You know, it's like every, it is the quintessential American bike. It's big. It's loud. It's in your face. There's nothing subtle about it at all. But it's got this sort of undeniable presence on the road. And it's a very, very nice place to be when you're kind of blatting around the countryside of California. Um, I think I mentioned it before. You know, I had some friends visit from England and um, old school friends. And he's got two teenage children, a boy and a girl. Oh, it's raining. If you can hear that. Yeah, I was oh, yeah we can, it is bucketing down. And um, we went down to Big Sur. And I took each of the children on the back of the Harley and this glorious sunny day on Highway 1 in Big Sur. And, I mean, it was just the perfect vacation for them because, you know, it's the most iconic road, iconic yeah, yeah. bike, beautiful sunshine. It's, and it's fun just to, to kind of get in and baby your baby. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, we love them. We, yeah. we love our bikes, don't we, dear? So uh, we have uh, we have some special guests calling in tonight in a few minutes. But before that, I wanted to give an update. So uh, I was sharing with some of some of y'all in the garage earlier, but not everyone heard this. So you know, I've been following e-bike legislation, and we've talked about what are they going to do. And even I talked to AMA, and I was like, I want to contact Pete Buttigieg, and like, what are you going to do? And they said, you know, this kind of stuff doesn't happen on the federal level. Has to start local, city, county, like too state, confusing. right? Yeah, you're not worried about it. And then it'll probably happen after a lawsuit and a death. It'll get, this is how laws whenever, whenever happen. Whenever someone can make money at it, that's when, well, that's when the government will care. So, uh, but interesting, there's some of this is starting to happen. A lot of people are complaining. You get e-bike riders and, and these little electric scooters that kids are riding around that are faster 
than some of our small displacement scooter and mo- scooters and motorcycles, but yet we're required to have a license registration and insurance. So here's um, just to keep up what's happening in the country. In New Jersey, there's a bill that's proposed that will require all e-bike riders to register and get insurance. Ooh. Right. So that's like, well, like, well, what's an e-bike? I'm all for it. What's an e-bike? <clears throat> yeah. Well, and then, yeah, that needs to be qualified. Um, but here's where it gets even more interesting. Oh, candy coming. California. Right by your foot. There's a bill that's proposed. Uh, and this is, oh, excuse me, am I in your way while you're trying to reach that Sorry, I need candy? I'm about ready to eat Jim's taco. taco. I'm going to eat Jim's taco. <laughs> so here's what's happening in California. So again, these are just uh-huh. bills that are being proposed. And this is coming from an assemblywoman down in San Diego. <clears throat> this bill would ban children under the age of 12 from riding electric bikes. And any riders who are at least 12 but don't have a driver's license, how could they, right? Uh, would be required to complete an online course, pass a written test, and get a state ID to legally operate an electric bicycle. Okay, let's do it. So that they can well, be held accountable for, they have to know the rules of the road and follow them and could be penalized for it. So it's interesting how two different states are proposing two completely different ways to legislate do this. They, do they mention statistics as far as health and safety, like accidents and injuries and any of that kind of crap? <clears throat> Um, maybe, but I didn't get fully into it. I mean, Neil, are you the one who said this already, came, right. probably came out of a... Yeah, so uh, two years ago, there was a crash on a rad power bike where uh, an 11- and 10-year-old were riding on, on tandem on the on a steep downhill, and the brakes failed on the bike. They're, they're just, they were going too fast, and they weren't able to stop at the bottom of the hill. They crashed, and you know, one of the girls died. Uh, so her name is uh, Molly Steinsapir. Uh, is her name? She I think you made 12. that up, but okay. Yeah, um, and so if they were suing Rad Power Bikes as a result of this. Ah, I, okay. Just while we're chatting, though, yeah. I bet there's probably ten times, if not more, injuries that are very similar on pedal mountain bikes. Pedal mountain mm-hmm. biking is dangerous, right? I oh, think yeah. we all know that, right? But yet we don't look to regulate or legislate. It's off road, though. That. Well, I, I, not think, cars. I think they have kind of a different Sorry. social contract, though. When you're riding a, a mountain bike, you're expected that you're going to fall off, um, and it is a, a riskier activity versus sending your 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 kid loose on a bicycle on the street to just go from point A to point B. Well, you don't. Yours, but no, I I I, I think we as it, an adult it's the you, appearance. You know, the yeah, the actuality is a little different because. As yeah. you know, as a parent, you should understand. We should understand the risks of a bike like that. Anyway, I think there's just enough. There's enough legislating in the world that we got to crack down on twelve year olds. And because I, I see these kids around town mm-hmm. all over the place, two up, riding with surfboards, helmet half on, all this kind of stuff. I'm like, if they were getting like run over left and right, and I, I you know, I'm sorry, like that girl happened. It does happen, I'm sure. But I'm just saying that there's a lot of other dangerous stuff we don't regulate. Why are they? You know, what, why focus in on this? It's going to make it more expensive. It's going to be a bigger because barrier for people. Because they're riding in bike lanes going faster than traffic. Yeah. <laughs> because I mean, it, when it you're on public roads, it changes situation. a little bit. I'm just playing devil's advocate because yeah. well, I hate yeah. to just roll over and be like, yeah, taxes, make me register it, make it, you know, all this kind of well, stuff. Well, there, there already is a regulatory scheme in place uh, for, you know, class one and class two, class three bikes. Yeah. Because and then things that are supposed to be mopeds and then things that are supposed to be motorcycles. Yeah. And unfortunately, technology allows us to make 
a, a bike that you, at the flip of a switch, you can convert it from a class two to something that can go 60 miles an hour. So maybe it's, it's the more powerful bikes that they're doing, like say the Super 73s, would yeah. they be under this legislation? Well, do you remember when we test rode the Bolt now Monday motorbikes? Yeah. They had two modes and they said street mode makes it qualify as a moped on the street and it limits it to a certain it's the same speed. reason it had so pedals. 28 miles an hour for off road street. opens it up yeah so it's they're like but that's you, how the bike manufacturer gets away with cl- being it classified as a moped but i'm just curious because i see those super <clears throat> 73s everywhere yeah, right and that's yeah. what all the kids are riding too i'm curious are would those be subject to this because if they're not subject because of some thing then I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a lot more cool with it. If it's just those like really gnarly electric mountain bikes you see kids on. But if it's just the Super 73s, I'm like, it's like, anyway, I don't know. Are those? Lit- well, those? I mean, um, uh, one of the guys was here recently with a, it was a Suron type bike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it does 65 miles per hour. No, those are cool. Yeah, those are wicked. I want one of those. Yeah. Right. It's almost electric, electric but you have a license. (laughs) I do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But that I can see. A 14 year old can ride that on the street. Yeah. Should that 14 year old not have proven that they're aware of rules of the road? And should that 14 year old be held responsible to be. Well, I think it's it's graduated, right? So in a situation like that, yeah, they should have to take a class and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But if it's basically a little Super 73 that the kids are just ripping around the neighborhood on. Depends which, what class is it set for? Is it a class two or a class one? When when I was 15, I rode an IT 175 as my driver to school and such. And I used to get pulled. And so the the law in Florida was five brake horsepower or less. You didn't right. have to have a license. So I get pulled over and the cops are like, well, how many horsepower does I have? And I don't know. You tell me. And he would look all around. He's like, ah, just go. The point is, is like, how do you qualify? What you the poor cops, you're going to stop every kid and have some kind of nebulous way to figure out how powerful the bike yeah. is. So the 73 is a class two and goes up to 20 miles an hour. Okay. So it doesn't, so it has a thumb throttle, but you have to pedal. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, whatever. Well, well, and you can take the same Super yeah, 73. But, but the can Onyx, you, for, for example, is yeah. the same way. It has pedals and, and a thumb throttle. So it's actually a class three, but you can change it for yeah. so-called off-road mode like you can with the Saran. So do you yeah. think that yeah. it's okay to take the Super 73 on an off-road bicycle trail? Yeah, I don't know. I that right. See, that that's where I have to like Too let heavy. go of my own bias because... Well, and that's exactly my point. I don't think any yeah. of us here really have our own opinion of how it should be. Yeah, those be. trails aren't made but for motorized. Yeah. I'm acknowledging the fact that, yeah, I think there needs class, to be Class three are banned from most trails anyway. I think yeah. there needs to be some more, yeah, classification. Just on open this. up more roads for actual well, motorized vehicles. Yeah. My opinion is you really need to make the classification of these things fail safe. Because if you don't, people are, the people who classify them are going to be people who know nothing about them. And my biggest concern is we get kind of thrown under the bus Mm. because there's people doing all kinds of felonious activities on these e-bikes, which makes any form of motorized two-wheel transportation the pariah. Mm-hmm. And that's what we really need to avoid. We need we we need to make sure that the people who are legislating and classifying these things actually know what they're doing and what they're looking at. 
And that's a good point because the alternative would be to create bands. And mm. I watched a YouTube video where in this township or whatever, they had banned powered vehicles from this off-road trail. Okay. And there was a guy who's a paraplegic who has a power wheelchair that's an off-road wheelchair that has these like um, knobby wheels yeah, that was made for him. And people were giving him shit and confronting him and t- telling him he can't be there. This is illegal. That's terrible. Wow. And he's like, it's my wheelchair. But it looked like an yeah. off-road utility vehicle, you know? Mm. And yeah, arguably. Kind of a ADA versus. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So that's why it's like, I'm not passing judgment, but I'm saying I can see where there's all this overlap in all these vehicles. Right. And that it's fascinating to me to see how well, is this going to be handled. Well, it's, it'll probably be state by state. So in California, they're obviously encouraging people to get out of their car and much more bicyclable and walkable. The thing about the e-bikes, and they haven't taken off like I you know, would hope they would maybe, but they make it so much easier to ride your bike around town or to and from work. Right. So, yeah, you know, yeah. for example, if you go over the hill, there's a thing called the Bay Trail. It's a decomposed granite trail that runs along San Francisco Bay from – San Jose, like all the way up San Francisco Peninsula, basically. I think it's on the other side, too. And you can yeah, ride your bike and run. Yeah, and you can ride your bike and run for miles and miles. And But like say you're a little bit older or you know, got mobility issues or whatever, an electric bike allows you to do that. You know, it encourages you to be outside and get more exercise and get out of your car. So I, I don't ride a bike that much or ever. So I don't, I don't know that much about it to comment. But yeah, I could see where it's difficult to draw a line where like, how can you encourage no, people I to mean, be on a bike, but yet protect Ultimately, the they're a good thing. Ultimately, space. they're a very, very good thing. But I think to to approach them in this way that like anything goes and anything's fine, I think is a mistake. <laughs> I mean, we, re- we really need to have knowledgeable people. Um, well, I've seen those like really ex- nice Dirt, uh, uh, mountain bikes that are electric? What are the Surons? Is that what they yeah, are? Yeah, Suron, which oh. is built like a full-on motorcycle with motorcycle-grade components. That's which, what it looks like. Almost yeah, like yeah. a little electric trials yeah, about, motorcycle. Yeah. They're wicked. So, yeah, I could see Long yeah. travel suspension, you know, versus, yeah, I mentioned Onyx. It's it's like a down-tube U-shaped frame. It's, you know, built like a really flimsy moped. Oh, that's cool. So, would you have yeah. a license plate then, I wonder? Uh, like a moped, like a trailer like a, or a moped that or, you don't have to renew every year, but it's registered. Yeah. Okay. I maybe again, I'm not passing my opinions of how it should be. I'm just fascinated in that I can see there's this need. How is this going to be handled, and at what level is yeah. this handled? Yeah. So the loophole is 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 that so these bikes that have modes they uh, avoid mm-hmm. uh, the licensing scheme that's required for for motorcycles because they they fall under these three classes. And of course, also the requirement for insurance. Um, so, th- some manufacturers, and I've mentioned Onyx is one of them, mm-hmm. uh, have exploited that loophole, and by creating, you know, really powerful battery packs and like five kilowatt motors that go on these things, that at the flip of a switch they can do sixty miles an hour. But so one, you know, they're really fast and and more beyond what their mission in life is, right? They, they're just outside of their societal contract. And here's another thing we haven't yeah. even gotten into. Do, are you required to wear a helmet with them? Um, is that it? Yeah. Yes, that's the Onyx RCR. That's, oh, that looks wicked. It is. Take that to AMA Vintage Days. <laughs> right. Oh, my god. So, yeah, like I can see how, like... Uh, yeah. But um, the unfortunate thing is usually, like, there has to be a, deaths I, involved. I think a Class 3, you're required to wear, wear a helmet and be over 16. <clears throat> yeah. 
I look. I want the kids to be able to have the fun toys that I wish I yeah. had yeah. when I was a kid. But I also want them to, you know, be following rules. Yeah. Well, let's uh, one thing. I'll, I'll shift the conversation a little bit. So there was a study done several years ago in the Netherlands uh, examining bicycle accidents, in particular e-bikes. And they noticed a trend with e-bikes that it was mostly older men who were getting into wrecks on these things. Hmm. Um, hmm. And they speculated, well, you know, they're not as physically capable. Um, you know, they're, they're getting into it late in life versus being long, lifelong bicyclists and, and this kind of thing. And my take is, is the ones that I see flying down the trails aren't the kids. It's the older guys. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Who think they're kids. Yeah. Yeah. We're always 19 upstairs. Well, also, when I was in New York City, they have, you know, big bike lanes. And I look up and I see a bike. It's way up there. So I'm like, okay, I have time. No, it was an e-bike followed by an e-scooter going faster than it. They're going as fast as the flow of tra- they're going like 50 miles an hour shoo, yeah. shoo, in the bike lane and it's like yeah. oh that i did not i wasn't prepared for that you can get this onyx set up for oh, dirt yeah. with side cases that looks awesome yeah but it's like yeah, five look grand at fr- look at the frame it's just a single down tube yeah that's snap that wild. <laughs> no way that thing is not built for you can mention how much flex it has well while you guys yeah. are looking that up i yeah. wanted to give a quick shout out to sponsor of tonight's show who is vintage rides hey Hey. we love vintage rides so you know in just uh four weeks i'm going to be heading out with vintage rides to peru for those who don't know yes uh vintage rides is a tour company out of france and they offer tours all over the world um, I can't, I, I've never found a tour company this, like with this many things that they offer that are affordable. So I'm really excited about it. So, um, where are they out of again? France. France. Well, they have offices in France and in India because they partner with Royal Enfield. So, so France is the kind <clears throat> of place where people walk into a shop and buy a baguette and say, Zutalo. Yes, exactly. Whatever that is. Let me give you an example. Bonjour, ça va? Um, how about this? Emma, would you like to go do a seven-day tour in Turkey for on a women's tour? And it's under 2,000 francs. I'm not sure how that equates, but I'm guessing it's close-ish to pounds or dollars. Francs or euros? Uh, francs, they're French. No, fr- France is euros, you lord. Oh, is it? Well, okay, euros then. Yeah, so, so about $2,500. Yeah, for a, for a week. Um, how about this, Jim? Uh, it's a pretty good deal. How I'm down for France. 24 days in the Himalayas for 5,300 pounds. Well, I may as well stay for 60 because I'll get fired. Pounds or euros? No, that's, that's cool. Euro, uh, wait, euro, oh, euros, sorry, euros. I don't know. I it's know the trips are good. All the trips are great. Not freedom units. Um, you can go to Morocco, South Africa, Argentina, Nepal. S- some of the ones I mean, in yeah, South Asia. Namibia. Really. <laughs> Namibia. I know. You have to go uh, through your armoire to get there. Ecuador. <laughs> all over. So I'm really, I'm really, I'm stoked um, to be going on a venture drive store that I discovered them. How much was that? How many pounds was the, uh, the one in France? Oh, the three-day because that would be a killer vacation. Bike. Go to France. Oh, you I could know. bring your bring your friend. 
Make oh. three days of it right adventure writing like at a camp you know in who, France. You know who may know how much that is? Who would know, do you think? I bet you Wendy Crockett knows. What? Wendy Crockett, she doesn't have time to answer our silly questions. Oh, she might. Oh, uh, here, there's a one-day off-road training in France. It's 290 euros. Is there a three-day? I like that three-day. <laughs> Uh, there is a three day. <laughs> there is a three day for nine hundred ninety euros. I like that. Like you could do a little side thing. Heck um, yeah, that sounds fun. Well, I don't know. Anyway, well, we should find out more from from Wendy, who I'm going to see next month. Wendy, are you there? I'm here. Hey, Yay! hey, what's happening? Hey. And did you bring your lovely cohort Ian with you? I brought Hell Ian. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know about lovely, but look, I can see him right there. Hi, Wendy. Hello, Ian. Hey. Hello. How are you? Good you, to you again. two crazy Good to see you kids. Again. Good yes. To see you. Gosh. <laughs> gosh, darn it. <laughs> you know, um, it's been almost a year to the day since we talked to y'all last. Really? Yeah, since you yeah. built a BMW. Wow. <laughs> I was. I was going to say it has to be about a year. And yes. look what yep. look what has, look what has wow. happened in the year. See, you went on a little ride, and I'm holding this giant encyclopedia-sized book, <laughs> which covers. I was it. gonna, I was gonna compliment you on your upper body strength, Emma. <laughs> yeah, was, well, it's a workout. Look at this. This is this is a weapon of epic school grade proportion. I mean, you could, if you chucked this at an unsuspecting school child, you could do some brain damage. It's a, it's sure. a, it's it's a, a, it's a big, a, heavy book. It's a weapon, weapon of inspiration. It is a it weapon is. of inspiration. You use it to fix those cysts that you get on your hand. You know, the, they call them Bible cysts. Oh yeah, Bible, yeah, Bible them. Well, so let's let's just get let's just get to the official introduction. Hey, so if you don't remember, Wendy and Ian have been on here before when they went and set a world record long distance ride that involved Australia and U.S. and Canada. Was it? Yep. Yes, you guys are crazy, crazy those crazy kids. But then crazier than that. You wrote a book. Well, you wrote a you wrote a brick. I call it the brick. <laughs> you wrote a doorstop called Pushy Miles: A Chronicle of Motorcycles, Mayhem, and Metal by Wendy Crockett and Ian McPhee. So mm-hmm. I didn't even know you guys were doing this. That writing this book and it is it is big. And as you said, you have so many more stories to share that you couldn't even fit into the hour you were with us last time. So I said, let's come on back and share some more stories from the book. I wanted to say- It is a top new release in travel writing. I was going to say, mm-hmm. you've already hit some marks, yeah. just like you seem to be dumbfounded <laughs> just by putting the word out. It's on Amazon. So let's give a quick plug. And you guys have been selling units. Has it been surprising you? It, it has. And I think, you know, we had discussed frequently that both of us committed to buying one book. <laughs> so we knew at least for sure we would sell two. But beyond that, you know, you just, you never know how interested people are going to be in this gigantic story. But um, what was the title again? Pushing Miles. Pushing Miles. I like it. So when you both appeared on the show last year, it proved to be quite a popular show. So it's obvious that the stories that you have resonate with not just long distance riders, but motorcyclists and people in general. 
So it, it to me, this is the most natural thing in the world. You've got great stories. Put pen to paper. Um, mm. we, that was when we rode the ride, and when we call it the ride, it's it's from when we started in Australia to finish in the states. So the whole six months, we we recognised as we were riding it that a lot of it wasn't about motorcycles. It was about the people you run through, right? The people that help you out, the people you have a random thirty-second conversation with that were fascinating for that thirty seconds or minute you're talking to them. It was the billion dogs we got to pet that we never even thought about <laughs> petting before we left home, and um, and so yes, while while motorcycles were the vehicle that made the ride happen and made the story created the story, the story was about so much more than that. And so when we wrote the story. We being the Victorian royal boy, and that—that's a whole other challenge to have two authors of one book. Yeah, so well, we fixed that. We fixed that very simply by me creating ninety-nine point five percent of the carnage, and Wendy writing ninety-nine point five percent of the story about the carnage. Oh, so, there you go. Then that's equitable. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah. equal. Now, is it truly um, an effort of both of you, or did you have it ghostwritten? Or parts no, no, of no. ghost written. So how we did this is, um, you know, we started out with the greatest of optimism, <laughs> right? Of believing course. that nothing would go wrong, right? And what then, could mm-hmm. possibly go wrong? What could possibly you. go wrong? <laughs> was it Registered a trademark? <laughs> what was that little part? <laughs> <laughs> We're like so, two angels on the road having a great time. It's like, oh, yes. And then that, things went to shit. Then so. about 666 chaos is in. We were like, we need <laughs> to start writing some of this down because I'm not going to be able to remember all of this. So I started making the notes and then, you know, fleshing out the notes kind of um, as as we went along. And what happened at the end of the ride um I, I I kind of filled out my notes that I had made at high speed going down the highway um, and shared them with Ian. And I said, okay, we're not going to talk about this. And and each of us are going to write um, mm. our recollection without comparing mm. notes. Without uh, and see of the other, exactly. Right. How much overlap there was and, and that type of thing. So once we had each written our recollection of the entire trip, then we meshed them together. Um, you know, then we kind and of into somewhere in the middle and... lies the truth. Mm. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, you got two people looking at exactly the same thing and, and they'll see a slightly different thing and, and report it slightly differently, even though it's both the truth. Yeah. And we had that happen numerous times. Um, and I think that's a big part yeah. of what makes it so interesting is you can have the same. We both lived the same day. Yeah. I mean, joined right. at the handlebar. And the perception of of the events is is just it's really interesting in how some days we were just perfectly aligned and some days it was um I just can't fathom how he didn't perceive these things the same as I did or vice versa, you know, and then we come back together and we find a way to move forward. And what's really mm. been interesting, and it was something that we worked really hard on as we were putting the book together, um, when we were working with our ghost readers and our editors, we specifically picked an editor who doesn't ride. Mm. Uh, we picked 
ghost riders from all sorts of different walks of life, people who knew us and who didn't and who ride and who don't. Um, because we wanted this to be something that was interesting and relatable right. to, to yeah. a whole different you know, swath of people than just the LD world. Not just, uh, well, not just us wackadoos, two-wheeled wackadoos. But, you know, I've, <laughs> I've said over and over again that motorcycles, as much as we love them, they're completely inanimate objects. It's just metal and rubber and plastic. When you introduce the human element, that's when it becomes interesting. So really, mm. the greatest stories are, are stories about the human condition who's bing bong we, actually, we so, actually did have one little bit in our book where the two motorbikes are looking at each other while there's a bit of maintenance going on and the and the story is relayed in that couple of paragraphs from the motorbikes point of view <laughs> <laughs> well and just just again going back if, if people don't remember the first episode tell us what bikes you're riding and how many miles you traveled to set this world record in what time frame? So we started in April uh, 2022 in Australia. Over here in Australia, we had at the time a blue FJR 2001 model. Mm -hmm. um, we only did about I don't know, 16 or 17,000 miles over here in the six weeks. So it wasn't that big a distance. Um, that was Wendy's bike. Yep. I was riding a 2012 Yamaha Super Tenere. And um, once again, it did about 16, what did I say, about 16,000 miles or something. It wasn't many. Um, and then we transitioned to the States, had all of that startup problem over there. But over there, we have I have a 2001 BMW, an R1100 RT. The latest cutting think, technology. Mm. <laughs> well run in. That's how it started the ride. Yes. And uh, uh, I think it finished with like 176,000 miles or something when I finished at the end of the end of the six months. So 100. And, and, a, lot, and a lot of pages in a book. So wait, so how many uh, miles in six months did you do here? Uh, between the two countries, it was over a hundred thousand miles. Just just over a hundred thousand miles, and in, in just a f in a few months, which is yeah crazy. Um, well, and then, when, especially when was, you take out all the down days, yeah, all yeah. the trials and tribulations. Yeah. yeah, I was on a two thousand five FJR to answer your question, and yes. then the the Guinness portion of the ride was um, eighty thousand two hundred and eight miles. You know, Wendy, you you truly are queen of the FJRs. I mean, yeah, yeah, I think Yamaha should give you a bike for this promotion you do of FJRs. You would think. Was that the same when your husband crashed at Vintage Days? Yeah, it is the same one. They won't even give her a cup of coffee. Let alone his bloody motorbike. He got in trouble. Oh, I mean, the, the the downside is I love it so much and that I, I you know, I rep for it unpaid. That's my downfall. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we have a, I believe that's an, uh, Emma, is that the silver FJR right there? Oh, hang on. You're asking I me to that, turn around. Yes, I always I? think, oh, that's Wendy's bike right there. We have a model. Oh, don't worry about it. Yeah, I think we have one there. Um, that so, is indeed an FJR yeah, yeah. in one you, twelfth scale. You are represented here 
And I'm sure, and Ian, yours is the BMW R bike? Correct. RT? R1100 R RT, yes. Oh, yes. And, I have one of those. And yeah. Ian is now also the proud owner of an FJR. Oh, <laughs> you got him. I have, nice. I know I have R1100 RT out in the garage. So, um, so yeah, so you guys wrote this book. Um, there was uh, somebody nice enough to highlight some of their favorite uh, uh, some lines in the book that I wanted to share with everyone just to set this off before you guys get into some of your stories because I think this is brilliant. So um, I, one of the things that made this trip possible is that you are both mechanics and you know your bikes very well and are both capable in maintaining and keeping them going. Do you, do you know what I'm about to read that was highlighted on Facebook? I love this. You guys are gonna like this. Uh, so you and I don't know who wrote this, so you can tell me. Uh, all right, it says I said we are both mechanics. Here's a fun fact: swearing can be one of the most critical tools in one's kit. Uh, it sounds like that's that sounds something an antipodean yeah. would say. Yeah, it says, it's true. Enthusiastic cursing, cursing is even listed as a critical step in some service manuals, just not the ones sold to the public. Now, some people may say that swearing is a sign of a weak mind. And frankly, fuck those people. <laughs> at this point, uh, we're just giving it. At this point, exper experienced mechanics won't get mad. They'll get sweary. They'll toss out a heartfelt, fuck you, you motherless goddamn piece of salty, tick-infested, goat-ball-licking, miserable, bastard, ass-shit monster. And then the bolt suddenly breaks free. Oh, yeah. Who do you I think like wrote? Who do you think wrote that? <laughs> Wendy. Wendy wrote that. And you can tell the difference between no. Wendy swearing and my swearing because Wendy uses words with lots and lots of letters, and I tend to limit mine to words that have got four. Yes. <laughs> Very oh nice God, and salty, that. Wendy. Well done. Thank you. Oh, you're Thank well. you very much. I love that. So, um, you want to share some more stories? I mean, you already told us about. Ian almost dying when his bike falling apart and Wendy getting emergency surgery. What else could you have to share with us? Tell you what, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things that isn't motorcycling related, but it's related to the story. Oh, and it's American barbecue. Oh, now, right. How sideways is that? That's not what you're expecting, is it? So no. I've been like <laughs> live to ride, this, ride to eat. That's our motto. Yeah, I know. Well, I've had a lot of American barbecue, and quite frankly, it's fucking terrible. Oh, <laughs> anyway. oh, shots fired. Anyway, yeah, go put another shrimp on the barbie. On no, he's, he's absolutely he's absolutely right. No, don't he's you not right. Don't you blaspheme? Nothing like Texas brisket. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Ian, I have a follow up question to this. Is it the meat that's uh, subpar, or is it the preparation? The, the preparation. Um. Well, I, I guess it depends on what you want your slop to taste like. So, oh my! To put a little finer point on it, there's regional differences in barbecue. So you've been all over the country. You have Texas barbecue. You have. Alabama style with North mustard, Carolina. North Carolina, uh, California. City. We have Santa Maria barbecue. Uh, he was pretty clear. It all, oh, it all sucks. I have a follow follow up question, yeah. Ian. Do you prefer yeah. a a wet sauce or a dry rub? I actually like them both. Oh, sure, you do. It's got to be situational. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I'm curious because I do like to eat. Who has? Well, it doesn't bother me whether the lights are on or off. 
Where, 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 who has the good barbecue? Koreans. Then? Koreans have yeah. good barbecue. Yeah. This is awesome. Yeah. The, who has the good barbecue? Tell you what, the uh. guy who had the best barbecue in America that I've ever had. Okay, here we JR's go. JR's Roadhouse in Rapid City, South Dakota. If you don't oh. know who he is, beat feet up there and buy something off that guy. And hmm. I tell you what, man, that stuff is just wonderful. All right. Good and it's conveniently located near Wendy. In the Black Hills. <laughs> exactly. And it looks like meat without having been bashed to death or turned into slop. And it doesn't have sauce that also adds the meat flavor because the flavor's in the meat and the sauce just gives it that tiny bit more, you know? And, uh, yeah. So we'll have to, nice. we'll have to, somebody on, on uh, Facebook suggested a ride to sign. So we'll have to do some sort of a mm. cooperative ride to sign at JR's Barbecue to... To mm. double tempt everyone to ride up mm. to Rapid City, like that. Nice, right? I, w- I wish I had known when I was there. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it is. It is a hole in the wall, but it is well worth it. So exactly. Good. And this is coming really from good. somebody who has had entire vacations, literally just going from barbecue joint to barbecue joint, as Jr's is the best. So, so you guys have Ooh. mentioned that you had many, many uh, things that would have stopped. Uh, most people, I think, you have many obstacles to overcome, and I know we talked about a lot of them. Let's give us some some of the highlights, things you overcame, and then share us maybe some of the stories of of obstacles you overcame that we haven't heard yet. Wow! Well, Where do you start? <laughs> they're like they're, they're still beat down. Uh, it's it's been really entertaining for me. Um, you know, to have people reach out, I mean, like in, in person and online and everything else. And they're like, man, I cannot believe how much stuff you guys overcame and you fought through and, you know, you still kept going. And I'm like, well, where, where are you? And they're like, we're like halfway through Australia. I'm like, oh, you have no idea. <laughs> we were just warming up. Um, um, I'd like to yeah. ask you something because, I mean, the book overall, it's, it's, it's a joyous book and it is full of overcoming uh, obstacles, but it's such an upbeat book and you know, both of your sense of humor really shows through. What was the absolute lowest point on the trip? Mm. The absolute lowest point where you really question is it's like this path of life that I'm on may not be the uh, I, right path for me. So we had a couple of really, really low points. Um, I want the lowest and of the low. They are, and I don't, they are I hate painful. to go there. It may have been the barbecue. They are painful to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think realistically the lowest of the low was the grenaded gearbox. And I think, you know, we, mm-hmm. we alluded to that when, when we were on the show last time. Right. That we have all of these videos of us in these impossible situations showing the frame busted in half showing the blowouts um all of these things and we always found something to be upbeat about that you know we're standing on the side of the road with a blowout and we're going at least it's a beautiful night to be (laughs) sleeping in the grass and then the storm unleashes on us and we still find something to laugh about Uh, but when when the gearbox grenaded in that video, you just see defeat for the first time. And that was where, you. That was your bike, wasn't it, Ian? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my poor old Buffalo, mate. I've ridden that bike for ten years, and it has never given me a minute's trouble. Well, they're great so, until they're not. <laughs> oh, 
you know. Thank you. But <laughs> no, and I mean it's I I had um I'm I, funnily enough I I thought of you guys right around Christmas. I had a lovely gentleman from Berlin show up at my shop on the back of a flatbed with an Africa mm. twin, one of the original Africa twins. And he'd been riding around the world for 10 years. 10 years he'd been on the road. And this thing had wow. done 260,000 kilometers. So that's what, about two, uh, 120, about 150,000 miles. So similar mm. mileage to that your BMW, mm. Ian. Mm -hmm. And he had be just been plagued with problem after problem in a very, very short space of time. And mm. he said, but this bike has been reliable 100% up to this point. And I said to him, I said, you know, there is a point where they just stop being like that. Now you've got to start thinking about doing a little bit of damage control. And I put a, I mm. put a fuel pump in it, mm. which got him down mm. the road. But then he was having CDI problems and he was having generator mm. problems and these problems and these problems and these problems. Um mm. But as far as I know, he overcame it. The last I heard from him, he was in, um, I got him to Tijuana, and I think he had to yeah, do okay. some more work on his bike. And I think now he's he's in Central America. He's down Bolivia way now. So he's doing yeah, okay. pretty well. Mm. So, yeah. yeah well, as, as Ian has said, nothing is ever broken. Just add money. Yeah, well, it's, yeah. exactly. That's all it takes. All it takes so, is money. Yeah, well, what about the surgery? Uh, what about what? Wait, about I'd like your, to hear the wait, end of that story. Wait, though. hold on. Yeah. Which one? How did you <laughs> fix? Yeah. How did you get from the side of the road with a grenade gearbox to back on the road? Yeah. Rode it. You rode we, it with um, a grenade gearbox. You know where um, uh, Rachel Nevada is? It's this little tiny dot between Alamo and Tonopah. Okay. Yeah. On, right, on the extraterrestrial road. highway. Yeah, yep. it's, yep. it's a wheel 20 miles south of that when the gearbox yeah. gave the biggest bang you've ever heard. A bike jumped under my feet. I actually thought it was going to throw me down the road. Pulled the clutch in and um, obviously disconnected the drive off the engine and everything kept rotating. And I thought, oh, did I dream that? Did <laughs> it really happen? So I let the clutch out with no, no extra power on, just sort of rolling along. Oh, no, I must have dreamt it because nothing went bang. So then I put some power back on. Bang, 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 bang. <laughs> ah, shit, man. Right. So here we are, 20 miles out of uh, Rachel. It's mid-afternoon, late afternoon, and um, there's no cell service out there, but oh, she's right, we'll get around it. So we stopped on the side of the road and we looked at each other and we said, well, we can't stay here. We're not going to get anything done here. Let's try and ride it, see how far it gets. So we clanged and banged our way 20 miles to <laughs> Rachel. At about at 30 had, miles an hour. At about 30 miles an hour, yeah. Wendy got this all through her headset because we were still connected. Mm -hmm. got clang, clang, bang, bang. So, ooh, that <laughs> was, was there cursing happening too? <laughs> no, we, it was I, quiet. We were, we had it nothing, was. So. Yeah, at, at that point, because you got to remember um, when this went wrong, we had just been down a week waiting for tires and we had we had mm -hmm. ordered replacement tires to come in um, to wait for us at our hotel. And through a miscommunication, they had been rejected oh. and um, right before a holiday weekend and they had been sent back to the warehouse and there was no way oh, to recover no. them. So we'd lost a week. Right. And we were 800 miles into our first day back after mm. getting the tires. And um, 
you know, we're on comms and Ian says, I have to pull over. And I said, no, you don't. You don't. You don't. We're not even a day in. So it was one of those that it was obviously so bad. Almost we didn't want to speak it into existence. So we were going, I was behind him on this highway. um, And, you know, it's, it's, this is a minor highway off the loneliest highway. So I think we only had two people pass us the entire time, but I was, you know, running tail gunner with my hazards on and we just didn't, we didn't say anything. So did you get it to Vegas to find a a gearbox or rebuild it on the side of the road or at the hotel? Well, this is, this is part of the story that's got nothing to do with motorbikes, right? So (laughs) we got into, we got into Rachel and we were just like demoralized isn't even an adequate way to describe how how I personally felt. You know, it was just like, I just can't keep going with this anymore. So we had half an hour there just to regroup and then we said, look, Oh, just still- as a, uh, I went inside because Ian just, it, you know, he was at that point where he was so sad that he just, I, he I'm needed a little really, bit of space. So I went really inside. I went inside to get him um, a lemonade, and I I walked inside and went to the little girl's room while I was in there, and I I am standing there just washing my hands and turn around to leave, and somebody sprays my face straight full of fly killer. What? In what? the bathroom. So yes, oh, apparently man. there was a, a girl was supposed to have cleared the bathroom and somehow missed me while I was in there. And oh wow, the guy was walking around spraying spraying bug killer directly in my face. So yes, I come out blinded, carrying two <laughs> lemonades, coughing and sputtering, <laughs> saying, "It's gotta oh, get better from here." Oh, Have you man. ever ever considered oh. that there may be signs being given to you? <laughs> so what did you do? How'd you fix it? So what happened was we um, we rode that bike for another, how far was it across to the intersection? Like 70 miles or something? It was, um, you know, I don't know. It was it was in the book, yeah, 45 yeah. miles or something oh, like yeah. that. It normally would have so, taken us about a half an hour. Mm-hmm. And the whole way us. over, it's just clanging and banging and crunching and grinding under my feet the whole way. Right. And we're doing 30 mile an hour. Anyway, we get to the intersection. And we've got to turn right to head back to Ely, which is fine, but it's up and uphill grade. Fairly slight, but it's uphill, mm. which wouldn't have been a problem if we could have rolled the sign. Oh, yeah. Now, we've been through that sign 50 times and never, ever had a car or a truck or anything at it to even see, let alone stop us. Well, this particular night, we pulled up there and there was a semi trailer right at the right place where I physically had to stop and put my feet down oh. and let him go past. So we're still, we're still without phone signal, right? So we turn right, we're trying to get up this grade, and the banging and clanging is getting that violent that the bike is kind of bouncing up and down this, <laughs> this point. Oh, my word. Anyway, we get about half a mile up the road, and there's this little tiny pullout, and we pulled up in this pullout going, well, that's about as far as we're going to get this thing. We pulled out our phones. Wendy had zero signal, and I had half a bar. Oh, man. (laughs) And it was enough signal strength to contact the insurance company who arranged the tow, and then um, husband and wife team turned out from Ely. We loaded the buffalo up at like 11 o'clock at night, and by 1 a.m. we were back in Ely, and, um, you know, 
part of the people side of this story is where the three of us were in that cab with the with Shannon's Kelby, he's our blue heel at cattle dog type dog. And um, which was talking about the randomness of the three of us being stuck in a cab of a truck in the middle of night in the middle of nowhere. And I, I asked him, you know, would would you know anybody that would grant me some space to work on my bike? I need somewhere to pull the transmission out. Because at at that point we we're staying at the sevens, uh, the four sevens in uh, Ely, and I was gonna pull it out there in the car park and just do it in the dirt. <clears throat> but um if I had if we had no recourse to a workshop. Well, Shannon and Kelly looked at each other and Shannon just said, mate, you can fix it in our workshop. Oh, that's great. Oh, oh. man. Nice. So we parked, we dropped the bike in their yard at one o'clock in the morning. They dropped me off at the four sevens and went home and I never ever saw them again. Because wow. for the whole of the rest of the next week, they're out of town. Hmm. And so the damage did so, it stay <laughs> in the uh transmission or did it get to the cranks it or anything? Stayed- no, it stayed in the transmission. We um, the following day we walked. I walked down to the workshop. It's like four and a half four and a half miles in in motorcycle boots. Walked Jeez. down there, got the bike started, rode it round into the workshop. There's actually a video of it just crashing and banging and grinding oh. its way through the yard. Mm. Anyway, uh, got it up in the workshop. Fantastic workshop. It was like being in heaven, basically. Pulled the transmission out, and uh, Wendy had found found another transmission on eBay, and we got that down as quickly as we could and put it in, and that was all it took. <laughs> That's great. So, and Neil, I don't know if you're familiar with their trip. So they're they're going around the country doing miles. Mm-hmm. Let me. I'm going to tell you how how they decided how to travel. <clears throat> Can you imagine visiting every state, every state, in alphabetical order? I saw that. <laughs> So there's yeah. a lot of crisscrossing you have to yeah, do. Yeah, what, what would be happen. the first first three states I have to visit? So Alaska, uh, Alabama, Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, Arkansas. Arkansas. <laughs> B would be. Well, and wasn't it the capital too? Uh, yeah, would go be? to the capital. Yep. Yeah, right. they did not make this easy. Yeah. Yeah. No, so hard and, and, they and made Ian it much, is much not harder. a city kind of boy, so <laughs> that uh, made it <laughs> that made it ridiculous. extra festive. Yeah. So, how many hospital visits were there in total? Well, there was only there was two oh. hosp- two hospitalizations. <laughs> only two, and then <laughs> and then three. The, three. He's saying three. <laughs> the the urgent care. Oh yeah, three hospitalizations. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, yeah. And who and who were they? And one one bedriddenness. So call it four. Yeah, you had uh, you had urgent care, and then you opted for for a uh, uh, hotel Wendy, Wendy rehab care. with Nurse Wendy. Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, what kind of injuries were yeah. there? Oh, well, I mean the there was really only I mean I tried to cut my thumb off, but we didn't bother to go to the hospital for that. You can you know just bubble gum and uh, some <laughs> electrical tape. Well, we're yeah. good to go. Or let's put it this way. But, how many were caused by a motorcycle crash? <laughs> Zero. There it is. There you go. Yeah. That's what? the thing. So would you go to uh, hospital? Yeah. Yeah, would, yeah. Was it dysentery? <laughs> so Do you have I, the shits really bad? Oh, no. no Maybe Texas barbecue. <laughs> <did it. laughs> yeah. For, first time in my entire life, I had kidney stones. Oh, and, um. Yeah, the problem is I have um, I have bad kidneys to begin with. I have a, a genetic kidney condition, 
that mm. make them extremely cranky. Mm. And um, so the have, having never had kidney stones before, and I was I was very conscious to to hydrate and go to the bathroom when I had to go to the bathroom and so on and so forth. But uh, apparently, I had been building, crafting, caring for this <laughs> kidney stone for quite some time because I had two wow. that mm. were twelve millimeters a piece. Oh, oh my wow! Uh, uh, I had a twelve big. millimeter just a few months ago. Holy really? cow! Yep. My sympathies to you, sir. Thank you. Uh, laser. So better or worse than child okay. having a baby? No, it was worse by far. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I can tell you, I had a, a kidney infection just before my daughter was born, unmedicated childbirth. And by far, it was worse, the yes. kidney pain. Mm. But um, yeah, they couldn't do laser with me because of my um, my kidney condition oh man so that it had to be actual um surgery and wow. so it was a, a bit bigger than what it would have been if they were able to do it with the um, the laser so how so, long were you out of action before you could ride again the uh mm. first time in australia it was <laughs> um they weren't uh by the, it it all happened so rapidly uh that the night before we were supposed to be on the airplane, I mean, and we're talking like 10 hours before we were supposed to be on the airplane, this hit. Um, but by the time we went in the hospital and they saw me, my kidneys were so badly infected that they wouldn't be able to do the surgery. So they were able to just put a stent in. Um, so I was in the hospital for a week to um, make sure that, uh, you know, all the in infection was resolved and that type of thing. And they said, okay, you're probably good. We kind of got in there poked the stone out of the way. So you're, you're probably good for up to about eight weeks. And then you really need to get the stent replaced because it basically acts like a string. If you think of like rock candy, um, and then you're going to potentially start having stone material form on this, um, stent. And then we're not, then it, it stops being a, a simple procedure to, to remove it and replace it and becomes a full surgical procedure. And so mm. there was so. no thoughts of let's just call it off. No. 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 <laughs> no, no, I like that. No. So how, do, how do we work around this? Nah. So one section in the book, you had an interaction with a doctor who wasn't very uh, supportive of, of your schedule. Can you? Oh, and, and a certain was, flowery phrase came up in that. So infuriating. That so we knew that we were going to have to, uh, you know, I'm, I am fine with completely disregarding my health. Almost entirely, without exception, but I really didn't want to. Um, it, it, it was going to be longer than that eight weeks uh, before the ride was done. And I, we really had some concerns about letting the stent stay in too long and creating more problems for me. So I, I wanted to get um, the ball rolling with the urologist here in the U.S. so that after the ride, which we we're going to like squint and kind of of that out to about 12 weeks. Um, but I, I wanted to, to have that ball rolling so I could, um, get, uh, get the surgery done right after the, uh, the ride was completed. But I knew all they needed to do was just, you know, say hi and blood pressure and pee in a cup and the very basic stuff. And I, you know, explained to them what we were doing and is there any possible way that we could do this via telemedicine? 
And, yeah. and I know damn well we could do it by telemedicine because this is right after the pandemic. And so everybody can do everything yeah. via tele-anything. Right. And um, they were just like, no, solid no. You know, you need to come into the office. So we were cranky, but we set up an appointment and we did our best to foresee the future, which obviously, if we were any good at that, we would not have done this ride at all. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> We, we tried to project when we were going to be going through town uh, that we could see the guy without any major deviation. Well, that didn't work. So we made the major deviation to go into town for this appointment. And um, the guy, it was exactly as I predicted. Because, I, you know, I used to work in the medical field. I, I, I was an EMT. I worked in surgery. I know what's involved. And the guy, his assistant checked my blood pressure. And I peed in a cup and he walked in and said, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, great. Well, let's schedule you out for a couple of weeks for surgery. There was nothing that couldn't have been done by a telemedicine and with me, you know, stopping into an urgent care somewhere. But the guy says to me, so you're doing some sort of like ride or something, you know, some sort of like Guinness thing. He said, yeah. And he goes, well, is it on a bicycle? Because it'd be impressive if it was on a bicycle. <laughs> Oh, geez. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, that was, that was, it was one of those things where, you know, I understand, we understand that people don't grasp what we're doing. Long distance riding in general is really beyond the average person's scope of understanding the why. But, you know, the nurse just kind of making happy chat what are you going to do? You know, what do you got planned for the rest of the day? And I said, well, I'm doing this instead of sleeping. And she goes, Oh, okay, well, we'll get you going so you can get to sleep. And it's like, I'm, I'm not leaving here and then sleeping. I'm doing this instead of sleeping today. (laughs) Like this is, this is my time that I had allotted for sleep today. Uh, You know, that I, I I'm seeing you instead but it's, you know, again, one of those conversations that no amount of talking is going to allow a normie to wrap their head around the fact right. that <laughs> I only I, have so just, many hours in the day. And I think that applies to a lot of our lifestyles. I mean, it's it if you try and explain the motorcycle lifestyle to anybody uh, who's really not involved, it really doesn't make a great deal of sense on the surface. Um, right. I agree. But... You know, they kind of work their way into our hearts. Um, Wendy, what do you, what is your what is your uh, what is your opinion of the Australian medical care? It was great. I've done. I I have had uh, in any number of hospitals around the world tour, which Liza has <laughs> politely requested that I not extend to our Peru trip. So I've <laughs> I've taken right. that under advisement. But um, yeah, it was. Um, it was great. I I really appreciate um, the way everything is. It's priced out ahead of time before you go in, because as a as a foreigner, I'm not obviously covered under the national health plan. Right, right, so right. Everything was very specifically explained. Um, you know what was going to be required of me in order for me to to pay. Um, you know, and it was it was super busy. But I, you know, we were in. Brisbane too is a you know big town. Um, immediately 
post-COVID. I mean, we were a few weeks post-COVID at this point. So that was another part of the complicating factor is um, Ian couldn't be in there with me. I couldn't have anybody else in there with me. Um, so I'm kind of navigating all of this by myself. And that was um, just because of COVID era restrictions. But um, yeah, it was excellent. <clears throat> so, it was so right I up there with Mexico on my <laughs> positive <laughs> international surgeries list. So if you had a word of advice for, so I'm, I'm preparing to take a nine day trip in Ireland in a couple of months. Um, besides getting health insurance, which is something that you need to do for Ireland because U.S. health insurance mm -hmm. doesn't work. What other advice would you have for people uh, for staying healthy on the road? Ooh, um, yeah, I was going to say, you know, getting travel insurance is is definitely worth a few mm -hmm. bucks of investment and and um, spend a little time doing some research and um, picking something. You know, everybody's got their own unique uh, criteria. I have standalone repatriation insurance, so it's not as important for me to have good repatriation coverage. Mm -hmm. But um, like I said, I do have, uh, you know, this uh, this condition, a genetic condition with my kidneys. So I want to make sure that pre-existing conditions are covered. I want to make sure that I have pretty good um, benefits. As far as staying healthy on the road, um, I'd say the same thing that I'd say for any sort of uh, motorcycle travels is don't scrimp on hydrating. That's so mm. important. Yeah. Um, don't eat a bunch of like weird things, uh, you know, that, uh, it, and by weird, I don't mean like ethnic food, although there's always a bit of a risk when you're, you know, buying from food stalls and that type of thing. But I mean, don't go on the road and be like, now I'm eating my entire diet from prepackaged junk food and, uh, you know, gas station food. Um, Things like that always have a, you're running the risk of throwing your system into to disarray. So make the effort and time to find healthy, uh, well-prepared food that isn't sketchy with flies. Unless you're Liza. Swirling yeah. it and Unless you're Liza. Twizzlers. <laughs> <laughs> Gas station ham sandwich. Yeah, exactly. Gas station sushi. So, um, looking uh, looking through their book, and they've given a tool in the back of the book that is very helpful for anyone reading it. It is a glossary of terms. So, I'm turning this into game time for everyone words? here. So, I'm going to read some of these phrases or words, and we're going to take turns and see if you can figure out what the heck it means. I'm guessing a lot of these came from Ian. So, <laughs> first, I'm going to start. Jim, I'm going to ask you. Yes. What is a beer cave? A beer cave? What is a beer cave? It's a cave that houses beer. All right, Wendy, then I'm going to go to you. What is a beer cave? How much did you it's, learn from Ian? That was, that's actually not an Ian phrase. Oh, it's that's, not. That's a Wendy one. No, that's, that's a, a Wendy, Wendy one. one. It's a US. Yes. Like in in the, the convenience stores and whatnot, when you can walk into the, the, oh, the walk-in like refrigerator. Yeah, I like yep. that. That feels good, cave. too. Yeah, they have those in Oregon. All right, like we're going around. All right, Neil, what is a bikey? A bikey? Um, What's a, a bikey? Mo a motorcyclist. All right, uh, Wendy, or what is a bikey? So uh, a bikey would be like uh, we would consider a one percenter here. Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. Hmm. All right, uh, Emma. Yes, darling. What do you think a bogan is? A bogan? A bogan. 
B O G is laughing. B O G A N. Bogan. Yeah. Something you pull out of your nose? I don't know. <laughs> right. It's the past tense Ian. of something you pull out of your nose. All right, good guess. Ian, what's a bogan? A bogan is our equivalent of your rending. Oh. Oh, really? <laughs> a bogan? Uncouth or unsophisticated yeah. person. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yes. All right. I, I, I'm going to own that. <laughs> All right. John, what is a Bowser? He used to play in Sha Na Na, didn't he? <laughs> uh, I'm it's a s- great name for a dog. It is. Maybe it's a dog. All right. Wendy? Bowser is uh, like a fuel pump. <laughs> wow. Oh, no. Yeah, no, and actually that that is a military term and I think it was I think it was um England and Australia who used it. I mean certainly on airfields you always you always call for the fuel bowser. Okay. To refuel your Spitfire, don't you know what, eh? <laughs> oh, so so like a dispensing pump from a from a storage. Like a tender. Yeah, yeah, it's like a tender. Okay. Yeah. As opposed to the fuel pump on your bike. All right, Jim. Uh, right. Yes. What is a farking spanner? Yeah. <laughs> well, you usually you're looking for it. Where's that fucking exactly. spanner? God damn it! That's exactly right. <laughs> Where's my parking spanner? Where's that parking spanner. That's another word for missing. Really good. All right. Oh, bagel, bagel. Yes. Hork. 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 Is that? Isn't that when you like you like cough something up from like the bottom of your lungs? <laughs> Hork that loogie. Yeah, bugger. It's like your, your, cat, your cat horks up a hairball. Right. Uh, exactly. Right. Wendy, techno. do you know what hork I is? Think, I think you hawk up a loogie and you hork down food. Yes. Oh, Eat quickly wow. and gobble. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, all right, Neil. Mankey. 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 Oh, I know this one. What's Mankey. Oh, goodness. Uh, a beard? Oh, no? good guess. All right, Ian? Janky. That's what that's what things are when they smell terrible. It's like janky, but it's manky. Yeah, it's manky. Growing its, its own a, disease, that thing. Manky. Stay away from it. You could, you could say manky or mingy. It's <laughs> a bit mingy, isn't it? Yeah, manky, right. mingy, mungy. All right, Emma? <laughs> yes? What is a right-hand time machine? A right-hand time machine? Yes. A right-hand time machine. A a gentleman's idea of a good Saturday night, perhaps? (laughs) Only if you're a righty. A right-hand time machine. So that would be a good time machine. Right-hand time machine. God, I should know this. You should. I think I know this. Do you? Hmm? Well, take a stab. It's a throttle. Oh, it could be. Exactly. Throttle? Yeah, you go faster. Wide open. Oh, yeah, make yes. up for last make time. Make up time. Full shorty baby bottle. Yeah. Yes, very good. All right, John. Yep. Wart. What is wart? R O R T. Oh, R O R T. Wart. Wart. That's the uh, the schmeg you get in your underwear when you. Oh, Why no. is that? No, no, no. <laughs> Johnny, no. Most of us don't get that. No, Johnny, no. Sorry. There's Rorty, which is, you know, like a. Yeah, no. Uh, Rort. 
uh, since he guessed. Ian, you want to tell him what rort is? A rort is like a scam, right? It's, it's a scam. It's, a rort, a rort of great magnitude is like a scam of great magnitude. It's the Australian word for it. <laughs> All right, keep going. These are good. All right, Jim. Yes. Seppo. S-E-P-P-O. Seppo. Seppo. Let's see. And, and this is going to need to be explained because even the definition, I'm like, what? Oh, let's see. We got to go get some Seppo. I don't know. Seppo's a tough one. I want to say, what's up, bro? What's Seppo? Oh. We're going to get some Seppo. Ian, how do you do? It's either, so, no, no, we near it. You want to explain this one? Yeah, I'm actually going back to the description myself. Okay, you want right, me to so, read it? No, so I've got it. I've got Aussie it. rhyming slang. You wouldn't be surprised I've got a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. Oh, yeah, and you have a glossary. Seppo. Yeah. Um, Aussie's abbreviating everything slang mm-hmm. equals Americans. Wait, Americans. I, I don't understand this. Uh, Americans equals Yanks rhymes with septic tanks. Seppos. Equal seppos. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> septic tank, yang. And then you rub the septic tank. Okay. Just gets uh, shorter and shorter. And shorter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was Sasquatch for a minute. Merkins. 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 All right. I just, Merkin? I just have Merkin? Merkin? a couple more. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> Merkins. We've Merkins. seen one shortly. Oh, um, God. All right. Uh, bagel? <laughs> yes. What is a skirt method? And this is S-K-E-R-T. Skirt method. Beats the rhythm method. method. I've never heard of this. This is a real thing. Hmm. Which one of you did this one come from? Wendy. From Wendy. Okay. I I didn't make up the term, but I used it. Okay, yeah. I I used it after I hit the kangaroo. Bagel hasn't answered yet. All right. Bagel, what is a skirt method? Um, it's a, a, a <clears> hmm. <throat> this is a, this is a real puzzle. It's a, it's, um, a, it's the girly equivalent of a trouser method. I was going to say it, it's it's well, if it involves like a kangaroo strike, then <laughs> it has to involve some sort of hair. No, it came so, from Wendy. <laughs> came from Wendy, sweetie. Right, but Not she was in Australia. So, is it uh, involve tying up some part of the bike so you can continue on your journey? Tying my kangaroo Mm -hmm. down sport? (laughs) (laughs) So, Wendy, you want to explain what skirt (laughs) method is? See, I was ex- with all the discussion of barbecue. I was expecting the skirt method to be like a skirt steak. Yes, but. No, a uh, skirt is a person, and she oh. teaches uh, how to pick up dropped bikes. Oh, and so it's a method for picking up a bike. It's where you, you know, your bike's laying on the side, and you put your butt on the seat, and and uh, you know, oh, you grab on the grab rail and grab on the handlebar and do baby step it back up, upright. Oh, very cool. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Hey. I just got a couple more. Let's see. Um, Jim, do you know what a stubby cooler is? Oh, it's not John's cooler. I was going to say that. It's not stumpy cooler. A stubby cooler. A stubby. It's something where you keep your stubby when it gets too hot, I would think. I guess. Or it's a small small cooler. I'm going to go with, uh, it's where you keep your stubby. And it's probably like a styrofoam cup that you got full of sweet tea when you were going through Alabama. Okay, I have a follow-up question. What is a stubby? I know what a stubby is. Don't we all? Short beer. Ian? A stubby is what we call a beer. It's 
375 mil. I'm not quite sure whether that converts to in fluid ounces, but it's like a... It's 12. A, like it's a 12 freedom, size, no, 12 freedom units. Yes. We call them <laughs> stubbies because they're in glass. <laughs> right. They're in glass. And the stubby cooler is like a styrofoam wrap that goes around it, keeps the... It's a koozie. It's a koozie. I got it. Your koozie. Mm. All right, we have two more. All right, Ian, what is a whipper snipper? What? Ian? Not Uh, Ian. Sorry, Neil. Neil, What is a whipper snipper? A whipper snipper is a string trimmer, I think, used in uh, like circumcision. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. Okay, and Emma, I saved the last one for you. You may know this one. Oh, I hope not. And I saved this one because I believe it might. Make Ian irate. Oh, damn. <laughs> what is a ute? Oh, that's the easiest <laughs> thing in the world. So, a ute is short for utility. It's basically the best way to describe a ute, and I need to get this right. It's a kind of a car based pickup truck. My El Camino is a perfect example of a ute. It looks like a car in the front, but it's got like a pickup bed in the back. It's like the automotive equivalent of a mullet. Yeah, basically. It's like car in the front, open <coughs> truck in the back, right? Yeah. Is that about it's right, Ian? It's about right. That is you. right. Yep. All right. And then yep. the final question, Wendy, this one is for you. Because okay. I believe you wrote this. I'm going to test you. Besides referring to uh passenger vehicles uh, as trucks uh what else pisses ian off according to your glossary <laughs> putting vegemite on fruit toast <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah, apoplectic Oh, um, oh vegemite, the, vegemite. That, that stuff that's nearly as good as marmite Right. <laughs> and what is fruit toast? <laughs> so, what does Vegemite it, taste it like? Was, uh, it it was, tastes um, like a very poor substitute of Marmite. Is what oh, it thanks. Like. It tells me everything. <laughs> <laughs> right, Ian? Uh-huh. Exactly. It's, it's made from expired it's, yeast, basically. Well, it's, 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 it's recycled it's, from it's, beer brewing. It's really super heavy umami, real salty. Yeah. I mean, almost like... I use it kind of in place of like uh, beef broth, right. like to to bring um, vibrance to soups and whatnot. Oh, wow. But, but um, on hot toast, on hot butter toast, it's very, very tasty. But the classic mistake that all Americans make with both Vegemite and Marmite is they put far too much on. Mm-hmm. The, the best amount of... Of that stuff to put on your toast in the morning is um, uh, zero. Uh, whooshed, <laughs> just a, whooshed, if that could be, you know, just you literally just wave the knife at it, and it's it's mm-hmm. absolutely delicious. And I grew up eating that stuff. I don't know. I mean, you were yeah. Vegemite fan, Ian? No, I could never eat it. I'm afraid to say it's about about the most un-Australian thing you can say is you don't like Vegemite. <laughs> well, but, I know, but it's. It, I mean. In England, it's actually, and this has happened since I've left England, I mean, the term, it's a Marmite bike or a Marmite car has come along because, you know, it's anything controversial that people either love or hate is called a Marmite whatever. Because it, and I'm, it may be similar in Australia. People, oh, that's a, that's a Vegemite thing. You either love it or you hate it. 
Yeah, yeah we don't we don't go down that road, but yeah, it's something I've never ever taken to. Yeah. And and I like it fine, but I also, you know, in a um like with a lot of things, you have chocolate covered bacon and you have that that's awesome salty Don't sweet be dissing that. together. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't it wasn't a deliberate choice. It was one of those places where we found ourselves stranded that happened to have provided um like a raisin toast and there's Vegemite. I'm like, great, two good things. Let's put them together. Oh my gosh. I've never seen Ian so mad as he was in that moment. <laughs> travesty. Offense to all of a travesty, exactly. They've offended all of Australia. So now what I do, he sent me a, a, a container of Vegemite for my birthday. And so I'll take something completely inappropriate. Like I, I sent him a picture the other day of like a pretzel with Vegemite with um, craisins on it. <laughs> oh no! Oh, my gosh, I'm well, a nice friend. That well, way. we're we're getting uh, we're getting close to an hour, so I, I need to wrap this up. So I have a final question, and then we're going to let you plug where people can get this book. But my final question is: Now that you've written the book, when they make the movie, who would you want to play yourselves? Ooh. Oh, well, we should guess who they should be. <laughs> I want to hear your guys's. Uh... <laughs> oh, I know who it would be. What's her name? Played yeah. Edge of Tomorrow uh, with Tom Cruise. Uh, oh yeah, I know you mean. Uh, oh no, uh, Emma Blunt, uh, Emily Blunt. Oh, em- oh, John Krasinski's. Yeah. Wife, yeah. Ooh, Emily Blunt. Ooh. Yeah, that's Blunt. that's that's you, Andy. You're Emily Blunt. I was going to kind of go there with Sandra go. Bullock. Oh, I uh-huh. like that. Oh, that's pretty good too. <clears throat> I like that. Uh-huh. And, and he, Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> I think, should play. Nah, Russell Crowe. You got to do Russell nah, Crowe. Crow. Nah, Russell Crowe. <laughs> Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. I could kind of see him or Eric Banner because I think Eric oh. uh, might be wrong here. But I actually think Eric Banner has motorbikes. Oh. Ooh. Or Jason Momoa. Don't you quite me. Got that going on. Don't <laughs> quite me. <laughs> or Mr. Bean. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Bean. <laughs> I, I was going to say I should play Ian and Ian should play me. <laughs> no, the the answer is just no. Like, Nobody wants to. No one would volunteer to recreate that. You guys are going to have to play yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mind yeah, doing it again so we can pay. film it? Um, yeah. You guys, oh, thank, thank you so much for coming on. And and you're coming to us from the future. I am. It's yes. Tomorrow. Yeah, how's tomorrow over there? It's pretty good. It's yeah. Monday. How's tomorrow? It's already about? Monday here. We're that far in front of you. I tell you what, you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you get there. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Monday's a good day in Australia. I mean, hang on a sec. What time oh. in the morning is it? It's uh, 12.30 lunchtime. Wow. wow. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So mm. you are ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Blimey. Yeah. 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 Okay. So right. um, when you get here, I'll hold your hand. Yeah. Thank you, dear. Um, <laughs> before you plug your book, do you have any big rides coming up or are you – you know, hanging up your spurs well, for a little while. Wendy does next month. Yeah, we're going to, to Peru next Peru. month. Right. Well, we, and with Eliza, Ian, do you have anything coming up? Uh, well, not big, big, but I'm actually, this afternoon, I'm hopping on the bike on the FJR. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Look how and, pleased uh, she is. She is so pleased when he says that. <laughs> I'm so proud. <laughs> the Australian, the Australian round of the Superbike series is in Phillip Island, in Victoria. Oh, 
Victoria this weekend. So, oh, how nice. Um, it's I not that far. It's about a 1,000 miles from my place, so I'm going to hop on the bike tonight and just go down there. Fantastic, because, of course, it's high summer for you, isn't it? It's the end of summer, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Middle of February, so it's sort of starting to, starting to taper off just a touch. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, autumn is coming rapidly. Hmm. Phillip Island looks amazing, too. Oh, mate, it's a great place. Mm. If you've never, I'll tell you what, I will give a plug to is Fuller Pilot. Mm. If you love nature and you love coupling it with high speed motorcycles, come to Phillip Island, man. Mm. Well, they I... got a lot of stuff down there, a lot of penguin colonies. You've got the Great Ocean Road off to the west side of, of Melbourne. You've got the Grampians. You've got all of the Gippsland area to the left, to the east. And it's all within. An easy day's ride, like two, three, four hundred Ks. Fantastic. Cheap to come down here for you guys, given the exchange rate. So right. strap on your goggles, pin back the ears, and come on down. There you well, go. you know, one of one of my partners is a guy called Cat Leod, who runs Leod Escapes. And I think he does a Phillip Island trip. Mm. I'm pretty well, sure he does. I just looked it up. Is yes. Phillip Island really an island? Yes, it, it needs a bridge to connect it. Yeah, I think it's like Key West is a... Is an island. Yeah. Bridge but, connected, But you can yeah. drive. You just mm. keep driving. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. You can take, I do believe, or there used to be, I mean, it's been 15 years since I've been down there. There's a long story to why I haven't been back, but I'm going back this year. And uh, I do believe there used to be a ferry service go to the island as well, but it's much more fun to ride, so. Oh, yeah. sure. Fun. Well, I wanted to thank both of you for coming on and sharing the story, but also I just wanted to congratulate you on what thank an you. achievement. Um uh, I mean, this is uh, it's it's a it's building materials at this point. It's like a cinder block. This is a heck of a book, and I think Wendy, <laughs> you had said that home. that you had talked about splitting into two books, but the editor was like, "No, this all has to be in one." It's just mm -hmm. yeah. So congratulations, yeah. congratulations on that. It's a huge achievement. Thanks. Where Thank can you. people buy these books, and what if they want it signed, like I do? So it's, um, you can go to pushingmiles.com and there's a full list of uh, everywhere you can buy it. Basically, it's it's on Amazon. You can get it um, ebooks. You can get it Barnes and Noble, um, Kindle, yeah. Nook, uh, Google Play, Apple Books, just about everywhere. So uh, if you go to pushingmiles.com and click on your uh, get a copy, it'll um, take you to a full uh, list of where you can find that. Um, Great. Uh, we're working on on the signed copies. We we have been surprised by the uh, enthusiasm of the uptake and the number of people that are requesting signed copies. So we are actively working on uh, how to get a bunch of signed copies by Ian over to me so I can sign them without it uh, costing an arm and a leg. So, well, mm -hmm. and I'll throw this offer out. If either of you want to come to Santa Cruz, we could do a book signing out of our garage. We did it for Elsbeth. Right. Uh, which was people were kind of shocked when they showed up and it was Elsbeth in a Costco carport tent <laughs> signing books. And that uh, was a very well attended event. But, yes. I mean, this is a very, it's an intimate little podcast. So there's only a couple of listeners who listen to this, but nevertheless, we plug your book, buy this mm. thing. It's great. It's a wonderful read. I'm not going to lie. I hadn't read, read the whole thing. It is a tome to say <laughs> yeah. the least, but it you pick it up and you dive into any chapter. It's funny. It's poignant. It's 
a human story. I would like to which see are it followed, the best. Up, followed up with a coloring book. I would be very <laughs> interested in the coloring book version. I, I think it would be a lot of or fun. Or the scratch and sniff ones would be good too. Right. Okay. So, <laughs> before, before we let you go, I have one final, one final question. Has all the fame brought you fortune? Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> it will. We're, no. We we um and art about writing the books. We weren't even sure we were going to make enough to pay back for the editing costs. <laughs> well, I we're, know. We're, we're both quite happy now that we're probably going to at least make enough back to make back the, the cost of editing the book. Right. I hope we make enough at least break even to pay for our transmission. On the RT. Oh, no, that ain't happening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to get anywhere near that. All right. we'll, just call out a, we'll just call out a good holiday and walk, write that money off. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, thank you very much for, for filling us in. And, yeah, go to pushymiles.com. Get a copy of this book. This is the latest, greatest book to share. And, and there's know, a lot of stories in there. But uh, I think perseverance is probably the, the oh, common Oh, absolutely. Thing. And I think in a, in a sea of books about long-distance motorcycle traveling, I my prediction, I think this one's going to do quite well. I think you're going to do very, very well. There's a humor that pervades the pages of the book that it, it's written in a very, very um, light, easy style. Um, yeah, I'm going to take it home with me. It's going to be my bedtime reading for the next few weeks. And apparently there's <laughs> cussing. Well, we all enjoy cussing. <laughs> well, good. Well, we're going to let you. Well, it's, it's appropriate and it's it's uh, focused. It's not just loose, random, off the shelf, off the top yeah. of your head shit that doesn't mean anything too. So it's it's quite appropriate where we've used it. Right. Well, thank you very much for coming on. We're going to let you guys go because we are going to talk about spark plugs. Sparkling plugs. Sparkling oh, plugs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. So Wendy's like, what? Now I gotta what? listen you get, just yeah. to hear what you have to say? No, I mean, you're both welcome to hang out. I mean, I'm gonna drone on for about 20 minutes about bloody sparkling plugs. You have 15 minutes. And it's it, it's a great cure for insomnia. You guys are I welcome welcome to stay if you would like. I'm gonna go pull out my NGK book and console myself by flipping through its pages. Oh, <laughs> all right. Well, I'm gonna um, go and polish my spark plug caps before I go to Phillip Island. Oh, I should if I were you, um, Wendy, Ian. It's always such a pleasure having you on the show. Um, Thank you. Stay in touch. Um, let's Thank have you me. back on in a few weeks. Let's see how the book sales are going. Sounds Love good. To. All right. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. John, you got some a quick update of our list of events for Yeah, real quickly. We'll do it quick because we want to. I want to learn about spark plugs. April 18th to 21st, our Misfits Hollister Rally. Go to Breaking Away Adventures. Jim, I'm looking at you. Yeah. I should register. What's the website for that? Yeah. Go to breakingawaytrips.com and register there. And Liza's going to Peru. You still. Yeah. Looking for people to go? Uh, they may have had one spot open, but I don't know if they're still... Yeah, I don't know. Okay, Stumpistan. Um, remember, there is a special going on right now for, for the first five for, for, people. For first five, five people. Wow, I'm getting mocked. No, you're not. Keep going, keep going. <laughs> first five people uh, to sign up gets a $500 discount. You can go to a differentagenda.com yeah. for that or email us at motorcyclesandmisfits at gmail.com. Dolomites trip, uh, June 23rd through 29th, and Castles and Curves, July 14th through 20th. Go to Liaud Escapes. 
bagelstillworking.com for that. Uh, Bagel still working on perhaps a scooter eval- uh, event from in July this year. AMA Vintage Days, uh, July 26th to 28th. And do you want to say anything about Chicka Stand? Not yet. Okay, cool. Chicka Stand, September 15th to 28th. But nevertheless, it is a heaving agenda. Um, and you can hang out with your favorite misfits. And a jolly good time will be had by all, I guarantee. Mm-hmm. There you go. So um, I wanted to get... Real quickly, I asked Emma to do a history hole on spark plugs. Well, and I, I wanted to say why. why. Why? Why? Tell me why. Because you know, I mentioned that I've been watching these Matt Armstrong videos, and there was a video where he um, yes, he swapped out the spark plugs yes with NGK spark plugs, and I know you're very much into like good quality stuff, which I assume NGK is good yes quality, and the car wasn't running right. And then he's like, uh, it turns out this car runs better on Iridium. And I was like, oh, yeah. I forgot. Yeah, there's there are choices. Right. There are choices in Spark Oh, you've always but got choices. But we don't choices. really ever delve into that, like different types of spark plugs, good spark plug choice, and also the fact that how many miles is a spark plug good for? Ooh, that depends, And this is darling. something like the brake fluid that degrades slowly, so a lot of people forget about that. And I thought, you know, it's probably good to bring it up because how often should we be replacing them? So I asked Emma, tell us all about spark plugs. I think it's another one of those items on the bike that's just often overlooked and neglected. Well, uh, no, no. I mean, that's like, oh, oh John. John. You're like, honestly, you're like a bull in a china shop, aren't you? <sighs> really? Hold uh, on. You've turned it off, John. So now you have to turn it on. No. Because you we. <laughs> Yeah, you, you he knocked Bagel right out of the screen. I know. Oh, jeez. That was a big crash. Well, no, and I mean, it's <laughs> a couple of people have mentioned to me that um, the history holes were a popular part of the show, and we, we haven't done one for a while. And so you said to me, Emma, can we do a history hold? And I was happy to do it. So um, – History hold on sparkling plugs. How about that? Yeah. Tell, I want to learn about sparkling plugs. Well, um, when we look back at history, you will often find that great strides are made completely independently of one another in a very similar time period. I mean, I'm going to use the example of the first flight. We all we all know that the first flight was made in 1903 by the Wright brothers. What people don't realize, it was a race against time because the French, Louis Blériot, mm-hmm. had a very, very good prototype, which was absolutely on the brink of flying. And the Cannes brothers in Italy had the same. And it really was a race against time. And um, Wilbur and Orville knew this. And they knew they had to get their plane up in the air because there can only be one first. And so they were the first, they're immortalized, and so on and so forth. Um, and so it is with engines. I mean, we, we discussed a couple of weeks <coughs> ago, um, probably about a month ago now, that the origins of our the engines we know and love really go back to the Otto cycle engine, which is, well, I made my, my notes here. Um, Otto cycle engine is really 1865, but, and it was Nicholas Otto who was German, as all the best engineers are. Um, however, the Otto cycle engine 
used a rudimentary spark plug. But that was not its origin, nor was it the origin of the engine. The autocycle engine was actually an improvement of an engine made by a Belgian called, by, called Etienne Lenoir in 1860 and he had a very rudimentary design for a spark plug well what is a spark plug if if you boil everything down to our most basic terms the engines in our bikes in cars in boats in aircraft are internal combustion mm-hmm. engines there is combustion and it happens internally and some are infernal well, some, there is the infernal <laughs> combustion engine, which is the one that never starts. Or worse still, the external combustion engine, <laughs> like, like my trident, which can <laughs> set your genitalia on fire. So we, both of those are generally not considered ideal um, to have. So an internal combustion engine. So... Let's get down to basics. What is it? Uh, how does an internal combustion engine work? Well, it takes a very, very flammable mixture, uh, which is fuel, uh, gasoline vapor. And the magic formula is give or take 16 parts air to one part um, gasoline. And you mix that up. Very flammable vapor. And then you compress it, which makes it even more flammable. And then ignite it at a very specific mm-hmm time and this is the basis of how all engines work or how all internal combustion that's engines the timing work. part of timing the timing part of timing now you could argue that the birth of the spark plug was mm-hmm. by etienne lenoir in 1860 but actually it it was a very very different kind of spark plug to the one we know and just as we've regard the genesis of our engines as the autocycle engine, I am going to argue that the genesis of spark plug technology as we know it, yes, Liza. I have a question. Which came first, gasoline or the spark plug? Well, the two are inextricably linked, darling. <laughs> but they weren't spark plugs as we know them. Because if you're igniting air fuel mixture, you need to, you need a means of igniting it. So I am going to argue, and I will fight and I will fight people for this, that the the real birth of the spark plug as we know it was by none other than the inventor of the world's squeakiest windshield wiper, <laughs> Robert Bosch himself. Oh. <laughs> So any, yeah. anybody who's put Bosch windshield wipers on their car, no, they ee, 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 ee. He also invented my belt sander. <clears throat> yes. Yes, Robert Bosch. He had a hand in a lot of things. So 1902, and I think we're going to, I think I would argue that the spark plug as we know, it kind of came around via Robert Bosch because it was right around that time that people were looking for smarter ways of igniting the air fuel how did they do it before a spark plug oh by various means i mean there was a probe that would go into a rudimentary combustion chamber um there was more more of a glow plug you're saying yeah almost yeah and there was no kind of timing to it there was a hot tube Mm. yeah they it it, 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 total loss systems it was just nothing very inefficient but but nothing was an electrical spark no 
what the crucial difference was, was what's called the magneto. And what the magneto did was provided a very, very high voltage current at a very precise time that you could then couple to a little mechanism that went inside the combustion chamber, fired at a very specific time, and then ignited your air fuel. And so things got more efficient. Yes, Liza. I like to call it tiny lightning. There you are, tiny lightning. There I'll take are. that. So what is a magneto? Magneto is a very, very interesting device. It's a mechanical device. It's almost like an electric motor in reverse. So you have a rotating um, set of coils. You have a magnet, which in itself isn't capable of producing very, very high voltage, but you have a high and a low coil. So the easiest way, if we kind of break it down to very, very easy terms, there is a low side coil that produces sufficient electricity to power a high side coil, which produces enough electricity to cause a spark in the spark plug. And there's little points that open and close. And the points are the key because when the points open, all this energy that is stored in the high side coil is immediately released because it's got nowhere to go. So it has to go into the spark plug and you get a nice crack. Um, magnetos are amazingly efficient. And back in the day when I used to build high power race engines, I'd put magnetos on everything because they're very accurate. They're very powerful. More importantly, they're very compact and they generate power themselves. You don't need any electrics on a bike at all. If it's got a, if it's got a magneto on it, because the magneto produces everything you need. They're also very reliable, which is why... Uh, they can be. They can yeah. also be very unreliable, depending on who made them. I remember my, my dad put a uh, Poinsel system in his, in his 750 Triumph Bonneville. Yeah. He had to kick it once, and then the second kick it would start. It had to get some juice into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of generate the power. Right. And then, you know, be, what you're doing is you're energizing the high side coil, uh -huh. and then the second kick, pow, now it's moving off. Um, the Triumph systems, they, they were great. And what you'd have to do is you'd pull off the timing cover and then replace it right. with its own timing cover with this giant, like, hunt magneto. Um, but that was the birth of the spark plug. Now, um, some notable spark plug companies. Oh, oh yeah. These are brands you approve of. Well, you know, they're all part of the history of... Spark plugs. Okay. Um, America. Champion. Yeah. We all know about Champion oh, yeah. plugs. Great logo. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And I mean, what an iconic brand. Um, Britain had the Lodge Brothers. Lodge plugs came in a lot of British vehicles, particularly immediately post-war. And KLG. Hmm. Now, KLG were the first to use mica as an insulator. You had no oh. idea mica was around back then, did you? You thought she was only about 20. <laughs> but um, That's no, what the crackheads used to break into your car window. Absolutely. Yes. Because mica is a form of porcelain, but it's very, very <clears throat> dense. Mm -hmm. Now, why do you need porcelain in a spark plug? Well, we're going to come to that in a bit. Um, so other, other manufacturers would be NGK? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. we're coming to NGK. Yeah. We're coming to NGK. Other notables in the 1930s, 
the first ceramic insulator came from America. Mm. Girl, a, um, a physicist called Helen Bartlett. And so she came up with the... Um, and let's talk a little bit about insulators and how they work. So your engine itself, the whole engine block, the frame, everything is the ground or the earth on the bike. And then you have a means of producing current. Now, you want to make sure that this very, very high voltage needs to be kept away from the main body of the bike or any part of the engine except for the electrode, which is where you want your spark. So you do that by using a very, very dense insulator. And porcelain is the greatest insulator. Why porcelain? Well, it's very, very dense. It conducts no electricity at all. And it's a great heat. It doesn't conduct heat. So it's not affected by heat or cold in the engine. The problem is it is quite brittle. So you always work with the composition of porcelain to make it as tough as possible. Yes, Liza. The design that we're co that's commonly used today, about how long has this been around? Because it hasn't changed much. No, it's, it's since the beginning. Yeah. But I mean, and I'll give you a timeline of yeah. the different materials used in a little while. But the basic design is screws into the cylinder head yeah. where it needs <clears throat> to be. It has an insulator. It has an electrode. Well, it has two electrodes. It has an electrode that's part of the main body, which is becomes part of the engine. And then it's got the central electrode, which conducts the current down to the tip. And you get that nice fight. Pow! Blue spark. Um, there was a very interesting sideline in the 1940s, which I want to talk about, is radioactive plugs. Oh mm -hmm. yes. <coughs> oh yes. Um did, did they did they glow in the dark? They did indeed glow in the dark. Oh no. But and the the it was an American company that came up with them, but they were actually considered a failure, nothing to do with the fact that you know they had radioactive <laughs> material in them. They were actually very efficient, but the half-life of the material they used was only like a month. So after, you know, these were spark plugs you'd have to change every month to keep them at the most efficient. Yeah, um, that's an improvement. Yeah, but um, <laughs> it all boils down, and we're going to go through some of the different materials and what doing different things to your plugs actually does, but it all boils down to the same thing. You want the fattest spark possible. Because a nice, fat, strong spark ignites that mixture. And the more efficiently you can ignite that mixture and the quicker you can ignite that mixture and get a fuller combustion, the more power your engine's going to have. Yes, dear. We used to talk a lot about gaps and gapping it. How right. does that affect the spark? So the bigger the gap, the stronger the spark. But. The downside of that is you need to have an ignition system to support that spark. Now, Japanese motorcycles, as an example, tend to be very, very efficient. They don't need a particularly large gap. Most bikes will absolutely sing with a 20 to 25 thousandths gap. 
Go back to when my Thunderbird rolled off the line in 1961. That is an incredibly inefficient engine, as all car engines were back then. Would you like to know what the plug gap is on a Thunderbird? Can I guess? Yes. 23. 71,000. Oh wow. Wow. <clears throat> wow. Because it's such an inefficient engine and it requires so much ignition, you need a giant strong spark. So the electrode is basically like a coat hanger. Almost. <laughs> but it's got an extremely heavy duty. I mean, it's got a giant coil in it. The points in it are like, you know, the clasped hand of a giant. It's got the ignition system to support it because it's basically a very inefficient engine. Um, so the bigger the gap, the stronger the spark. Now, an old race car um, builder's trick is to cut the electrode. And what you do when you cut the electrode is you cut it back and you can get the gap even bigger. And I've seen them cut back almost to the to the thread on the plug and that will give you a really giant spark but it gets to the stage where um coil ignition whether it's um stick coil or centralized coil with plug wires can't actually support that kind of spark and you have to go back to a, a magneto if you look at most drag racing cars these days they're all running magnetos because they're capable of producing these incredibly high voltages but um, I digress. So let's have a let's have a little timeline of um, the different materials used within spark plugs. And basically, keep in mind all of these things is just to try and get the spark as hot and efficient as possible. Now, the earliest spark plugs basically had a copper core, and copper is still very very widely used. Copper's a great insulator. You can send current through it very, very quickly. It's cheap as chips. It's very efficient to make. So copper is still used now. Um, 1930s, nickel started being used very, very extensively. 1970s, they changed the design to a V-Power. Now, a V-Power plug, this is the genesis of the smaller electrode. When you look at a spark plug... If you look at just an average, cheapest chips, three bucks spark plug, the tip is about three mil diameter. When you pick up like a V-Power plug, whether it's iridium or whatever, it's got this tiny, tiny, almost like half a mil, quarter of a millimeter tip, which gives this incredibly strong spark. It's the equivalent of having a big spark plug gap it gives that strong spark but you don't need these incredible voltages to run it um laser platinum plugs that was the hallmark of the 1980s oh yes yeah platinum plugs they were the big thing and they yeah. gave way to iridium plugs in the 90s it's hard oh. to believe that iridium technology <coughs> is already about 30 years old i just remember the in the 80s the spark plug caps that had a clear window so that you could see the 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 the, the spark. Right, 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 right. And that actually, they were a very, very handy tool for troubleshooting misfires mm -hmm. back in the day. Um, you can still get them, but you have to search around for them. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, that was the thing to have back in the day. Yeah, right. This, like and they had different colors on it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so iridium is a is a metal. I'm sorry. Yeah, iridium is a is a is a is a metal mm-hmm. and is very very good conductor. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think I might have put platinum plugs in my Trans Am back in the day. Right, <laughs> because <laughs> oftentimes if you have an engine that is susceptible to um, plug fouling because of poor mixture. And it's very, very easy for us as motorcyclists. We can adjust the mixture on our carbs very, very easily. If you're running a Trans Am, which I re- if I remember right, had a Rochester Quadrajet. Yes, Quadrajet's an, it's basically a bucket with a hole in it. Pretty um, much, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, a, and, mine had, and mine had a bad ignition module too, so it really didn't like to start. Right. <laughs> So the easiest way is just put a very, very high-efficiency spark plug in it, and it will mask a lot of problems. Same as if if your engine's got an oil control problem and is susceptible to burning oil. If you can put a really efficient spark plug in it, you can kick that can down the road for a while. So we're getting low on time, so I wanted to make sure we cover some things in here, like how often do you recommend changing and... You know, is this something that you can get a performance upgrade just by simply changing spark plugs? Well, yeah, what, I mean, what are your recommendations to people in in general? Well, yes and no. Um, if your engine is running efficiently, putting new spark plugs in it isn't going to make it run more efficiently. Okay. If you're trying to nurse an old car through a smog check, a new set of spark plugs will certainly help. You might not feel the difference, but doesn't it degrade? Over time? Yes, they do degrade. So... Well, I I remember when I took my FC1 down to you at about 50,000 miles. Right. And I had never done plugs or anything like that. And I think if I remember, you took out the spark plugs, and it looked like they had little mohawks. Right. Like the plugs were no longer <laughs> round. They were like flat on, on either side. Because it's worth remembering... But the bike was totally misfiring and running like shit. And, all and then we put new plugs in, and off it goes. It's worth remembering that when you were sending tens of thousands of volts through two electrodes, they are going to suffer from degradation just from the power of the electricity running through them. It's almost like eating at the metal. How lo- How often should you change plugs? Forty thousand, sixty thousand, eighty thousand, no, 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 no. How long are they they good for? Unfortunately, that's kind of a like a how long's a piece of string question because it tends mm. to differ from engine to engine. If you oh, have okay. a high efficiency engine, right. twenty or thirty thousand miles should be appropriate for a set of plugs. Oh. Um, Jim got 50,000 miles out of his FC1 because it's a very, very efficient engine. Neil sitting next to him, you've, you've got... Um, I've got about 31,000 on my V-Strom. Yeah, and the V-Strom is a far less efficient engine than the FC1, so it's going to eat up plugs a lot quicker. Um, mm. That Interestingly enough, that um, Suzuki V-Twin engine started off in twin plug configuration. Those fuckers... Eight plugs every 10,000 miles. So they went to a four-plug configuration, which kind of helped matters a lot. So, and do you recommend to people, like, do you need to look up what it says in the manual, like NGK, or do you recommend upgrading to, like, an Iridium? No, I'm, oftentimes you'll find bikes now will actually specify an Iridium plug. And generally, if you ever see X 
in um, the designation of a plug, mm. it means it's an original iridium plug. That's not the top of the heap now. We have Ruthenium plugs mm. made by Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> and she's very sophisticated. Um, but I'm a huge advocate. Stick with a manufacturer's recommendation of a plug. And sometimes there's a little bit of black arts here. Japanese bikes tend to run very, very well on Japanese plugs. British bikes run very, very well on British plugs. You know, it's it's almost like the engineers had this vision back in the day. If you've got a sick engine, sick because it's high mileage, sick because it's maybe a little over-carburetted, you can try an iridium plug. And that may kick the can down the road. If you've got like an oil consumption problem and it's fouling plugs and you take the plugs out and they're kind of black and hairy and they look like a tarantula's leg, um, it may be <laughs> worth putting an iridium plug. But you don't want to change the heat range. The heat range of a plug is absolutely critical and you should never really deviate from the heat range. That's the number in a plug's range. And generally, the higher the number, the colder the plug. So in NGK terms, a B4 is a very, very hot plug. And you'd use that in a very inefficient application. Most Japanese bikes are in the sort of B7, B8 range. A race bike, which is a very, very high efficiency engine, would go as high as a 9 or a 10. So... That's basically it. As always, I've just touched yeah. the surface. Um, if your bike's running like crap, put a set of plugs in it. Well, now you got me thinking, since I'm baby in my SMT, I'm like, I think I'm just going to buy some spark plugs. Because isn't it one of those things? We overlook it a lot. Well, you do because... Uh, yeah. Air filter's one thing, but, you know, spark plugs... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I think I'm going to... It's kind of like valves. Yeah, I got to go, go back and like reassess. An look at the mileage on the bikes. Yeah. I'm like, I think it's I'm going to it. It's kind of like your body. It deteriorates very, very slowly. And you're like, oh, I don't notice this is happening, like your FC1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then suddenly you bring it in for service and it right. gets a little bit of Emma Love and an air filter and valve clearance is doing and spark plugs. And you ride it away and you're like, bloody hell, this thing rides like new again. Don't blame me. Yes, you know. So there you are. But sparkling plugs. Thank you. They, uh, they've been around for a while and they're very nice too. Thank you very much, Emma, for that. <laughs> I have, real quickly, two very short emails. First one, Crockett Josh, who was here with us last week. Yay, Crockett Josh. He just said, thanks like for having him. me on the podcast. <laughs> uh, sorry um, I missed him. He loves listening to us and uh, the Cleveland Moto He's guys. quite the poet also. and um, Although he doesn't know it. And he just really enjoyed coming and hanging out with us. We enjoyed having him. He's and a good egg. The other one was Gilles. Gilles. Who was here last week. And he says... Quebec. Emma, thanks for saving my life. I got the tire changed. I think I avoided a deadly accident. Please tell mm -hmm. Emma I owe her my life and consider the donuts repayment in full. Oh, that's <laughs> so sweet. <laughs> that is so sweet. No, nice. Jill was also a good egg. And yeah, donuts yeah, yeah. are a valid commodity. Oh, yeah. You well, no, the, uh, donuts are a good currency. Well, Chickens are good, too, if everyone's curious. So, <laughs> thanks. This is where we get we get to the end. Thanks, everyone. Um, I highly recommend getting Ian and Wendy's book. I mean, it is quite a tale. I'm waiting for the coloring book. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm waiting for a scratch and sniff. No, you know, <laughs> I, I'm waiting for the stick on tattoo. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but it's it's funny you should mention books. Is um, I was a little late arriving at the garage today, mm-hmm. wasn't I, Liza? Because um, I was over at Gilroy Motorcycle Center hanging out with our dear friend Greg. Mm-hmm. And um, when I walked in, um, I was setting up a wholesale account for parts. And Greg was busy with some people he was selling a bike to. Um, he's the owner of the shop. And so I sat down in the lounge area, in the lounge, and helped myself to a cup of coffee. And there, sitting on the lounge table, was Mimi and Moto Ride the Alpha. Oh, yes. Yeah. Nice. So um, go to motorcyclesandmisfits.com. You'll find links to everything, uh, including our T-shirt that is for sale. This is pre-orders, but big news. They are on order, so they are on the way. What color did you go with? I went with the the Heather Army Green. Ooh, nice. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just to make it clear, there is nobody famous on that shirt. Nobody <laughs> famous um, on the show. And this is a limited run. So our Patreon subscribers are the first ones to get it. If you'd like to get one for free, just be a Patreon subscriber at $5 or more. And you'll find our link to the Patreon on our website. And for anyone else, you can also go pre-order. It's $25 free shipping in the U.S. right now. And you've got a deal going with worldwide shipping. I mean, you told me uh, twenty bucks 20, anywhere in the world, which is the deal of the century. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty bucks anywhere in the world. So go to motorcyclesandmisfits.com and you'll find the links to everything there. I guarantee, if you wear one of these shirts, you're getting laid tonight. It's, it <laughs> okay. says that much about your wardrobe and your taste. You sleep yes. me, Emma. All right. So thank you, everybody, for listening and sticking with us. I appreciate it. It's time to get out of here. Thanks. This is Liza. Stop it, John. Give it the beans, darling. But the cat dragged in. Also known as Neil. <laughs> thank you, Jim, son. Bagel. And we are out of here. Cool, cool. cool.